Welcome to Baby Tour Guide's Montessori Babies Podcast. I'm your host and baby tour guide, Bianca Solorsano, and for the last decade, I have dedicated myself to helping parents, educators, and caregivers optimize baby development through a Montessori lens. This podcast is all about evolving our Montessori practice to make our time with our sweet babies easier, relaxed, and so much fun. Let's jump into it. Welcome to episode two of Montessori Babies. I'm so excited. This week we are talking all about getting started with Montessori in infancy and in toddlerhood. So basically, just to kind of preface, um, it does look a little bit different when you're implementing Montessori in infancy um, and when you're doing it in toddlerhood. All the while you are following the child, so it does, you know, directly correlate with where your child is at in their development. But for example, a child who's three months and, you know, using mobiles, just now using two hands to grasp something, you know, that kind of thing. The Montessori approach and the lessons they're given and and the independence level and all of that is very different than, for example, a child who is about to turn two and is right in their explosion of language and very independent and, you know, that kind of thing. So, but... Over the last 12 years now, I have come to a conclusion that there are some main points within implementing Montessori in infancy and in toddlerhood that are essential to at least know about and consider when you are living your day-to-day existence and within your Montessori practice or your practice with your baby. Maybe you just want to implement a couple of Montessori points throughout your your day-to-day existence. And and that's beautiful to whatever it is that you're looking to do. I hope I'm able to help you get there. So touching on those um, Montessori ideas to consider in infancy and toddlerhood, there are definitely specific things that we should consider when trying to implement Montessori and optimize development through that. I will say that these points are also Definitely supported by, you know, basic developmental theory as well. I hope to talk a little bit later about the kind of the controversial stuff that don't necessarily fuse between the two worlds of Montessori and development, but that'll be in another episode. <laughs> so basically the things that we need to consider when implementing Montessori and beginning to implement Montessori in infancy and toddlerhood are the prepared environment, the prepared adult, fostering independence, the Montessori curriculum, following the child, and freedom within limits. I do also want to say that when considering what Montessori is for babies and toddlers, one of the cool things about Montessori pedagogy and living a Montessori lifestyle is that it really emphasizes the uniqueness of each child and the beauty within that. And it really does foster that innate inner will to learn that each human is born with. And, you know, the goal is to help carry that inner will throughout childhood and beyond. So if you think about, for example, a newborn baby, they're so interested in everything around them. Once they start to uh, see a little bit clearer, you'll start to see them, you know, fixate on certain things or really just try and reach towards something. They're feeling everything. That is kind of what Maria Montessori Um, described as that inner will, that inner light to learn about the world. And so the idea, the goal was to take that, to foster it, to follow the child's interest and to transform that into the educational experience that that child will have. 
So just before we jump into all of, you know, those, those Montessori points that I just mentioned and where to get started with it, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the mind of a baby, what's happening (laughs) in infancy um, and in toddlerhood. They are similar, but different. So during the first year of life, babies' brains double in size. They're constantly making mental connections or synapses about themselves and their new world. So they're always figuring out who they are to their environment and who the environment or what the environment is to them, how they interact with it, that kind of thing. They're sensorial learners, but they are concrete learners, which means that they are learning what their world is essentially. Babies learn best through serve and return experiences. Basically, serve and return experiences are when the child offers something to their parent or their teacher or their caregiver, like a laugh or a babble or something like that. And then the parent or the educator or the caregiver responds with that return. So they're interacting, they're going back and forth, they're learning about each other, they're they're really just evolving together throughout the child's earliest years in their journey. (laughs) Um, So they learn, babies learn so, babies and toddlers learn so, so well through serve and return experiences. And then the environment plays such a huge role in their developmental experiences and what they will learn, you know, their world to be. Essentially, when I was learning initially about development, that whole, you know, nature versus nurture talk came up quite a bit. And what what it landed on is that we used to think it was 50-50. So nature being, you know, the genes that you were born with and the nurture being the environment. So nature versus nurture. We used to think it was a 50-50 split. So your environment can affect it, but your genes really play just as much of a role. Recent research has shown a little bit more of a 60-40 favoring the environment. So that's how big of a role the environment plays in how our children will learn about themselves and their world. Their environment doesn't necessarily just mean their bedroom. That's something that I definitely want to clarify. It's not just the bedroom or the kitchen or the house that they live in. It's, you know, the people within it, how they interact with their space. You could have a beautifully set up environment, but if the child isn't getting opportunities to, for example, read or, you know, have those serve and return experiences or sing together as a family or, you know, a class or a group that the child will maybe not make those same connections as a child who did have those experiences. So their environment really entails all of it, everything that happens in their day-to-day life including where they are and the structure of the environment, but the people within it, the interactions, all of that matters. And then just kind of lastly, the goal of Montessori is to optimize that developmental foundation. So to really give them that inner will to learn as a gift so that when they do end up school age, they're self-driven as much as possible. (laughs) They still have that intrinsic motivation versus the extrinsic motivation. That's a goal within Montessori. Um, And we'll talk about how to foster that as well. Yeah. So basically those main points, 
the prepared environment, the prepared adult, fostering independence, following the child, the Montessori curriculum. So that's that, you know, those wooden materials that you would consider, at least when I think about Montessori and infancy and childhood, I definitely think of those beautiful wooden materials almost first. <laughs> so that that is important, but there are also ways to um, make those materials at home or give very similar experiences without having to invest in, you know, those materials do get pretty pricey. So we do what we can and we offer those same types of experiences with the same end goal. <laughs> and then offering freedom within limits is also very helpful to, to helping the child. So Number one, touching on the prepared environment. The prepared environment, it refers to the purposefully and strategically structured prepared space with the goal of optimizing the natural progression of development and fostering the child's innate will to learn about their world. So if you have, you know, seen any pictures on Pinterest of a Montessori space or maybe toured some Montessori schools, you'll notice that everything is perfectly their size. The goal is to have the environment set up to stimulate the child's interest throughout the day and also be their size to to foster independence, really make the space just their space. We are the guides within that space and it's, you know, their space so they can use that inner will to learn and drive themselves to whatever it is that they're interested in at the moment. So the prepared environment within Montessori in infancy and in toddlerhood, I would say that you'll want to have some key spaces, essentially the things that your child already does but at a level that they can be involved as much as possible. So for a tiny baby, you know, it's not necessarily like we need to provide a big gross motor area, but we will want to provide them a comfortable area where they can practice their their tummy time and really just strengthen those muscles, you know, practice their grasping, practice their visual development through the mobile progression and all of that. The way that I would consider setting up your child's space whether your child is an infant or a toddler or somewhere in between, maybe your child just started to walk and they're showing little signs of testy toddlerhood. (laughs) So basically what you'll want to do is you'll want to look at their day. So what do they do throughout the day? They eat, they sleep, they get their diaper changed. Maybe they're already practicing using the potty. They play. Um, and then you'll want to kind of subsect the playing as well. So what areas of development are they working on within their play? What types of things do you have out? Um, that kind of thing. Within the prepared environment, I would say that it is very vital to have a designated space for your materials and the materials that you have out for your child at that point. So in development, when considering, and when I say materials, I mean toys. <laughs> um, we consider them toys, but in Montessori, she talks about the the infant and the toddler working, working with materials, because it definitely takes work to learn about your world. And so that was the idea was everything is purposeful and there's really just meaning to the the lessons and the materials that we give the, the child. If you are able, I know that they can get kind of expensive, but if you are able, definitely a shelf is helpful. I always suggest getting a two-tiered shelf from day one. 
So you only have to invest in one shelf for, and that would last you until, you know, through about their third year. And basically the reason for that, we see a lot in Montessori and infancy, that single tiered shelf, that shelf is so beautiful and wonderful. And if you have that, then awesome. And it works really well. One of the things that I've noticed um, with a lot of children is that they do end up you know, using that as more of a seat, they'll attempt to climb it a lot, you know, that kind of thing. Once they are cruising, pulling up to stand, (laughs) Um, and there's a lot of redirection that happens with that. And if you're trying to avoid situations like that and really just keep it as their working shelf, having that two-tiered shelf will be a lifesaver from day one. They'll just know that that's where their materials go. They can use the the bottom level of the shelf the same way that they would use the single-tiered shelf, and they can pull it off as babies and, you know, crawl or slither on over, pull off their, you know, rings on the rocking base, for example, and work on it, and then, you know, we can show them how to put it back and all, and all of that, and it works exactly the same, but just with that top, top layer, which will definitely come in handy in toddlerhood. <laughs> so yeah, consider all of the things that your child does and then try to make purposeful areas for those events that take place. And then also try to consider how we can get the child involved within those experiences. So the shelf, for example, it allows the child to know and recognize where their materials go As they come into higher levels of consciousness, they can return their materials to the shelf, for example. They can, even before that, observe us. We show them where things consistently go on the shelf. They're absorbing that, and eventually they'll get involved as much as possible. It's really helpful if you have that as a part of your your daily routine is the putting back of all of their toys and materials onto the shelf throughout the day as they're not using them. And then, you know, as they watch you do it, they'll be more likely to do it too as they come into higher levels of consciousness. For the toileting, for example, it's really helpful to have the low low toilet that they can, you know, drive themselves to. Maybe have a basket with some fun books next to it that I have to do with the potty. Or um, you have the, the pull-up bar and mirror maybe next to it where you do stand-up diapering. Just a purposeful area that they can go to so that they can let us know that they're ready to either get a diaper change or use the potty or that kind of thing. And that happens as, again, they come into higher levels of consciousness. They'll start to recognize that this space is for this. And then you'll have these really beautiful aha moments. I had this one really amazing experience. Actually, this happened a couple times with a couple different children, but one distinct experience where I was an infant teacher in a Montessori classroom or Montessori Nido. And I had one child who was maybe 13 months, had been walking since about 11 months. And every day I would offer the potty just to kind of let them practice if they wanted to. They saw their older friends, you know, using the potty. So this child in particular was showing interest. I would let them use the potty. As you know, I started to offer that the child definitely came into higher levels of awareness about the experience. And the child ended up waiting at the the toileting area for me every single time they pooped. They would go over to that area and they would wait. And that's because that was a consistent part of their routine. I was talking to them about it the entire time. You know, it's, it's just really, really fun when we give the child the opportunity to be involved as much as possible, how much they actually do get to understand, even if it is, you know, an unconscious absorption that That leads to a conscious experience. So yeah, so with the prepared environment, again, like I mentioned, you're just going to want to consider what is going on throughout your day, where they're at in their development right now. 
and how we can set up purposeful areas for each of those things. So for play, you'll definitely want to have that shelf if you can, but something like a designated area, maybe a rug with some baskets on it. If maybe um, you can't quite invest in the shelf quite yet, or a, a toy box is tricky because things get a little bit mixed up in toy boxes. So you'll, you'll want an area where they can have purposeful sections. So whether it's baskets or trays on one area of the floor, so maybe you have it on a rug that you put out each morning or it's there for the week. They always go in the same spot. And then, you know, at the end of the week, you observe or just see what materials need to be switched out or rotated to continue to stimulate that interest. Then there's also sleep. So this is kind of one of those more I guess, controversial Montessori areas, (laughs) especially in infancy, because um, if you are familiar, you'll probably know that Montessori babies do sleep on a bed. They sleep on a floor bed on the floor. And again, that's for that, that next level of independence. So the child, you know, we really just let them follow their body clock. I do, you know, offer, I've offered naps both in a school setting and in a home setting on floor beds. And it works really well if that's something that you're interested or comfortable in. But I know that every situation is different. Some families have multiple children and so they feel safer with their babies in a crib. A lot of times it it does have to do with safety and all of that. And I totally understand that. So that's just kind of like that sleep area. Um, Eating is definitely a big, big one where there are areas where we can uh, implement Montessori at every level. So, you know, for the bottle feeding child, um, allowing them to hold their bottle as much as possible, talking to them, singing to them as they're drinking, you know, making that eye contact, having that connected experience. And then once they start their solid food journey, so the Montessori weaning process, which for those of you who have been in my community know that it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I love Montessori weaning. I weaned hundreds of babies in my classroom and uh, I feel like I, I I got to a really good place as far as the the weaning formula and how to optimize development throughout each step. But having a low table from day one, using things like a bowl that would make a sound if it dropped. Not everyone is comfortable with using porcelain, which is what you would use in Montessori. You would use glass, and that's for the cause and effect. So if the bowl is dropped, it breaks, and the child recognizes that you show them it, the the broken bowl, <laughs> and um, you clean it up. But if you have multiple children, if you're by yourself, if you're in a classroom setting with a licensing that maybe wouldn't allow for that, then just, just use something that would make a noise. So something that's not plastic, maybe something like aluminum would work really well. Um, and then again, just getting them involved as much as possible, letting them try feeding themselves as much as possible, um, introducing a wide variety of textures and flavors and things from from the start. You know, again, babies are sensorial learners. And so the wider the variety, the more experiences you are giving them to practice and learn about that eating experience as well. But within your prepared environment, you will have the the low table, the low chair, if at all possible. If not, it's totally fine as well. If you have a high chair that pulls up to the table, that works too. You know, the trip chop chairs are a really nice one because the child can just 
fully be connected to table level. You guys can eat together, talk together like you would, you know, with your, your partner or your other children or, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so really with a prepared environment, you're just considering everything. You're considering the different pieces that your child is experiencing throughout the day and then setting up purposeful areas for them to try and come into awareness and trust within their environment, that that will be that space for that. And then you'll start to see really beautiful things happen throughout your journey. So another point is the Montessori baby curriculum or those toys and materials that we were talking about. (laughs) So the curriculum, it is a purposeful progression of materials and lessons offered by the parent or teacher, but guided by the child's interest and development. So these Montessori toys and materials are exactly what you would think of when you think of what to put on your Montessori shelf or what Montessori toys your child will be playing with. There are a lot of really beautiful subscription boxes out there that provide the materials for you. And these these types of materials are exactly what we're talking about. Every child does develop differently. So there are really cool ways to to help stimulate certain areas or things that your child may be interested in or needs to work on by rotating in specific materials. But what we want to do is keep these materials within their zone of proximal development. So that is actually a developmental term, the zone of proximal development, and it is a Vygotsky theory. It basically refers to stimulating the child's interest by something being within this zone. And this zone ranges from easy to hard, but within a range, because outside of that, if it's too easy, you will not stimulate the child. And outside of that, if it's too hard, the child won't be able to do it and therefore you'll lose their interest. And so the idea is to honor and offer that within. <laughs> um, I, In case you haven't noticed, I really love fusing the two worlds. They're my worlds of, you know, development and Montessori. And I hope that, you know, it's given me a lot of perspective and ways to support my Montessori practice and evolve my Montessori practice. And I hope that that's able to do the same for you as well. So as far as what materials you're offering your child at said age, um, you know, a, a three-month-old may be doing things like tracking, tactile mobiles, like the bell on the ribbon, and grasping materials. Um, you may find a lot of those things on their shelf, maybe specific types of language materials, so a basket of fruits, a basket of known objects, so things that you can find around the house. Those types of things are all great to have out on your shelf or your area with your baskets or whatever it is that that you have set up for your baby. As far as the toys, less is definitely more when it comes to the amount of toys that you offer your baby or your toddler. And what I mean by that So if you consider the child who is absorbing everything, they're absorbing 100% of everything that is going around in their world. They're making mental connections about everything. And when they are surrounded by a lot of toys, it is overstimulating. There's a lot going on. And so you You'll have less moments where your child is focused and shorter moments where your child is focused on one material and really expanding their, you know, their ability to kind of hone in on that inner will. And so the less aspect of that, simple, self-correcting, 
natural materials that the child can manipulate with their hands is what you want to go for. You know, those really beautiful traditional wooden materials are awesome to have, but they can get pricey. You know, there are ways to recreate the Montessori materials at home. So for example, there's something called a slot box that you offer a child. I would say typically somewhere between 12 to 15 months, depending on the child. And that slot box is basically a disc and a box and the box has a slit on the lid and the child drops the disc into the slit and then is able to either remove the lid or move the lid or slide the lid to to find the disc. And you can make that at home with, for example, an oatmeal box. You make your own discs out of cardstock, maybe put some duct tape on there to make them harder. And then you can just cut a slit in the top of the oatmeal box and then show the child how to put this, you know, the discs in the slit and remove the lid and find the discs. So there are really, really fun and beautiful ways to recreate the monastery materials if you are, you know, doing it on a budget. But there are also some really wonderful Etsy shops who hand make beautiful monastery materials. I try to go to Etsy as much as possible myself. And yeah, so, but then also what I would recommend as far as materials and toys is to always consider a tendency that they may have. So maybe they have a tendency to throw their materials it may be a really good idea to have a basket of balls out for redirective purposes as well. Or for the child to just go and throw, maybe you put some targets on, you know, a, a wall or on a rug or, you know, just get creative with it. The The redirective purpose for something that they can do in action is very Montessori and also highly developmentally beneficial because the child is learning what they can do with an action that they are driven to do. If you're a new parent hoping to implement Montessori at home, you may be surprised to know that you will be spending the majority of your days fostering independence with your baby. Yes, even more than the Montessori toys, materials, activities, and furniture that you see on social media. And fostering independence is the easiest and quickest way to transform your parenting experience, bringing peace to your parenting as you optimize your baby's growth during their most crucial years of development. Plus, fostering independence is the most misunderstood Montessori concept for babies. That is why I am teaching my Montessori workshop on fostering independence from infancy to toddlerhood. In this 30-minute workshop, you will learn what it truly means to foster independence the Montessori way, plus you'll get the exact steps on how to foster independence with our non-mobile babies, our sitting, slithering, crawling, and cruising babies, and our young toddlers. This workshop is usually $9, but because my goal is to support you as much as possible, I am gifting it to you totally free. So, if you're ready to transform both your experience and baby's experience during their most crucial time in their developmental journey, click the free workshop link in the show notes. And now, back to our show. Yeah, so that's that's what it is with the curriculum, the Montessori materials. Typically, each lesson has a direct and indirect purpose. So kind of like I mentioned with that wiping the table lesson in the water, directly we teach the child how to wipe the table. <laughs> um, and then indirectly, we teach the child in a slow progression from left to right, which is a prerequisite for reading and writing later on. This is all just an unconscious absorption at this point, but while the child is learning to do something that is developmentally appropriate. 
So we use things like those points of interest that I mentioned, toy rotation. So, you know, like I just said, the switching the materials, the less is more idea and the continuing to maintain interest and the freedom, the freedom within limits, which we'll talk about in a second to explore the materials available in the space and to help the child maintain interest and continue to foster that inner love of learning. I will say that observation is key to understanding what lessons and materials to offer your child or children. You may notice things by silently observing. If you even have a couple minutes every day or once a week, whatever you can manage to just sit and watch, watch what they're doing with their hands, watch what they do with the materials you know, where are they driven gross motor wise, that kind of thing. Cause that'll help you recognize not only what materials to offer, but also maybe how to structure your environment. Maybe your shelf's in an area that leads up to a landing and you didn't notice that the child can climb on the landing and on top of the shelf, you know, that kind of thing. So just sit and watch and see what's going on. <laughs> and then you'll be able to kind of continue to evolve your environment. And it becomes natural at one point. A lot of the things that I mentioned may sound like extra steps at first, but then, you know, something like just taking a second to sit and watch to observe um, will really help your practice longer term. Yeah. So one of the next points that is essential to getting started with Montessori and infancy and toddlerhood is called the prepared adult. Now, this part refers to you. (laughs) So you as a parent, you as an educator, you as a caregiver, and you in, in your work with your child or your children. There is a a connectedness aspect to it. So there is mind, body, and spiritual preparation to take on each day. And again, I know this sounds like extra work, but it's not, I promise. (laughs) But the idea is to learn to bring a new perspective every day as the child grows and develops. Because if you think about it, the child is developing, they're always making mental connections, and they're always learning about their world. So who they were yesterday won't be the same as who they are today, and that won't be the same as who they are tomorrow. So the goal would be to, to approach each day with a fresh perspective, with fresh observation eyes, (laughs) and to kind of be able to sit and just interact and continue to learn as your child, you know, reveals themselves to you through their experiences with you as their prepared adult with their environment. So anyway, learning to bring a new perspective each day, I would say is hard, especially, you know, as days become busy or hectic or big things happen. Um, other, you know, moments in your life may take precedence to you being able to kind of reflect on, on your day and then move on to the next. But if you're able to do that as much as possible, I definitely recommend it. It gives you a sense of peace as well within your practice, which I have found to be pretty much essential at this point to, to my practice. So the the key points that I would consider when considering the prepared adult observe. So observation is huge to yourself um, and your preparation, your mind, your body, your spirit reflect. So reflect on your day, but also how you are, how you're feeling, because we are our best selves and our best guides when we're able to be as present as possible to give our our child or children, those really connected experiences as much as possible, as often as possible. And it does take work on our part to work on ourselves to be able to do that. But 
over time, you know, these types of little, little tips, these little self-care tips, the prepared adult is essentially a big self-care thing. Recognize where your head's at, recognize where your heart's at, you know, how is your body doing? Working with babies and toddlers is totally physically trying. <laughs> um, it is hard. You know, you're you're squatting all day long. You're lifting all day long. Your back hurts. There's a lot that goes into it. So taking care of yourself so you can be your best version of yourself for your sweet baby or your babies or your toddlers is definitely essential to you feeling good and therefore to your baby feeling good as well. Another one of those points um, that we should definitely, definitely consider when beginning to implement or considering implementing Montessori in infancy and toddlerhood is fostering independence. I will say that this is probably the most, they're all important in their own right, but I will say this point is one of the most vital to implementing Montessori in infancy and in toddlerhood, and it's completely free. This is one of those things that really optimizes their development. And it's something that I focused on so much and continue to focus on in my day-to-day experience in my practice with the babies and toddlers that I'm working with right now. And it's a free way to do it. It's essentially giving your child every opportunity to try something for themselves. But it's fiercely misunderstood even in the Montessori world because fostering independence looks very different for babies and toddlers than, you know, the early childhood phase and older, right? So the need at these stages, so infancy and toddlerhood, are truly unique. But like I said, it is the easiest way to discover that Montessori magic. It's free and you'll get to really experience that child-led joy that we're, you know, all hoping for as we optimally support their earliest years of development through Montessori. So because this principle is so important, I am teaching a separate Montessori parenting workshop on fostering independence from infancy to toddlerhood, and I'm gifting it to you for free. I am so excited because you'll discover that Montessori parenting confidence and flow in knowing exactly how to foster independence with your baby and toddler. And I break down exactly how to do it by zero to six months, so that newborn, new non-mobile baby phase, six to 12 months, so that baby, baby phase, they're newly mobile, newly crawling, start to cruise, and 12 months plus, so the new walker, young toddler phase. You will have this handhold to bring Montessori magic into your home and it also comes with this wonderful downloadable guide so you can download that print that out and have it with you and I'm just so so excited for you to experience the confidence that it brings you as a new Montessori parent and then the incredible developmental opportunities that it brings your child plus you can listen or watch the workshop in this same podcast style and I am gifting it to you for free like I mentioned as a listener of my Montessori baby show it is linked for you in the show notes. So definitely join the workshop. I will see you inside. Our next point that is essential to consider um, for implementing Montessori in infancy and toddlerhood is following the child. So this part is actually something that is, I would say, one of the one of the first things that people think of when they consider Montessori in general. I, again, kind of like I mentioned when I would give tours, one of the questions, I, another question I got a lot, regardless of the age, not just infant and toddler, was I heard Montessori is child-led, but the kids, you know, run amok. There's no structure, and I feel like my child needs structure. Stuff like that, (laughs) where the idea of following the child 
is allowing the child's inner guide and inner clock, inner will to guide their experiences. We do provide that structure. So the next point and the final point that we're going to be talking about when implementing uh, Montessori in infancy and toddlerhood is freedom within limits. All of these points go hand in hand. So if you are able to kind of consider and implement slowly piece by piece as much as possible, I don't want you at all to feel stressed about your journey because everybody's in a different place in their journey. So my goal for you is to just take little pieces and implement as you can. And all of that will be beneficial to you and your baby and your practice and your journey together. But the following the child just means allowing that child's inner will to guide their experiences. So one example I like to give, so maybe you have um, an 18 month old toddler who is super interested in all different types of service trucks. So trash trucks, ambulances, that kind of thing. Maybe you will follow the child by following that interest and rotate in language materials and reading materials that will stimulate that interest and honor that interest. Maybe your child has just learned how to run or just started walking barefoot on grass outside. And that's where their, you know, their inner will is guided. They love going outside. So we follow the child. So maybe we have a couple more outside moments and opportunities throughout the day. Um, Stuff like that. As far as following the child, that does not mean that the child gets to do whatever it is that they want to do. And what I mean by this, Montessori definitely, definitely is a peaceful approach to parenting or guiding or teaching babies, toddlers, children in general. But we definitely want to offer them limits. And I'll tell you why. Limits provide a structure for the child that the child needs to trust that those limits are there to be peaceful enough to freely explore their environment. So, and I have seen this over and over with children where when there are purposeful limits set for the environment, for the space that's consistent between all the adults in this space, the child is able to just flourish. And these types of limits typically revolve around safety So for example, I wouldn't let my children climb on shelves because I didn't want them to fall off, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. I would redirect to a, a climbing structure that I had in my space. I would say something along the lines of, if you want to climb, you can climb here. This is for the materials, you know, that kind of thing. Or with the eating table, that was another thing. I couldn't let them climb onto the eating table. One, because it was on wood flooring. And so that would hurt if they fell off. Um, And two, I wanted all of the rest of the children to see that this space was for eating. And so again, I would redirect my children to the climbing structure. Another thing is that um, they couldn't throw materials. They're wooden materials, and so they definitely hurt. And when you have an environment of, you know, multiple infants or even one or two, it can really hurt the other child. And so that's another limit I would set. You know, I would say, you know, that can really hurt. If you'd like to throw something, you can throw a ball, redirect them to the ball, and then just show them how to gently and gracefully place the material back on the shelf. Um, You can say things like, this shows me you're all done if they are misusing a material. But it typically has to do with safety as far as the limits go. 
So freedom within limits essentially encourages the child to use their inner will to guide themselves within the prepared environment and guided by the prepared adult. Limits are set to keep our kids safe and others safe. So that's basically what it is. The number one thing that I learned about limit setting with our tiniest humans is that babies and toddlers find a sense of security and trust within the consistency of the purposeful limits implemented by their loving parents and caregivers. And so what I mean by this is that babies actually have a strong sense of order. So, you know, when we think of things like routines, sleeping times, eating times, that kind of thing. Within that sense of order as well, it's not just the time of their day-to-day experiences, but the limits that balloon over their environment and their experiences within their environment. So they find security and trust within those limits that we set. So they are important. They are essential. And really, my number one suggestion would be to, to get everyone who's in the environment on the same page as far as the limits so the child can really feel that sense of security within the limit setting that you are providing your child. <laughs> um, and we'll talk, we'll have a lot more conversation on limit setting um, because it is a a really big topic. There are a lot of ways to set limits, a lot of ideas and trends that that come up in my practice as well. And so definitely want to keep that conversation going, but we'll do that later. So those main points, um, as far as, you know, the prepared environment, the prepared adult, freedom within limits, fostering independence and following the child, all of those are really, really important to beginning your Montessori journey. It's really common, you know, when you look up Montessori and infancy, you see a lot of the environmental stuff. So the shelf, the materials, You may see a lot of DIY, you know, environment stuff when, you know, kind of going forward, definitely consider all of these points. And I would actually suggest doing things like preparing yourself, preparing your environment in an independence kind of way to start. Consider maybe what materials you can slowly rotate in within the toys that they have. Maybe you can section them to where each one has its own designated place. Your child starts to be involved in the returning aspect of it. You know, there are different things that you can do without investing a single penny from the start as far as being Montessori or implementing Montessori in your practice with your baby. (laughs) And there are also really beautiful, really beautiful materials and shelves out there. And um, I have an awesome uh, Montessori baby shop on my website, which I will leave a link to in the description. Um, And I listed a lot of my favorite materials and weaning materials, books, all of that is in that shop. So if you want to check out the things that I have used over the years, definitely check that out. Yeah. So, and then just one thing that I definitely want you to consider, Montessori can be implemented anywhere. You may have seen it in a home setting. You may have seen it in a school setting, but you can be anywhere and implement Montessori. You can be at a park and lay your baby under a tree. One of my wonderful trainers, one of my wonderful Montessori trainers said something that will forever just stick in my brain, (laughs) which is trees are nature's mobile. And so even just like the immersiveness in nature, letting your child explore freely, all of that is so Montessori. 
being at a restaurant and letting your child grab the spoon and put it in their mouth. Maybe they spill a little bit of water and you hand them a napkin to wipe it up. You know, that kind of thing. All of that is Montessori. And so you can really do that anywhere. It can be, you know, overwhelming. There's a lot of information out there, but I want you to know that just kind of by focusing on these points, you are getting started and getting rolling on your journey. You're optimizing those earliest years of development through those day-to-day experiences and you're doing great. (laughs) I'm a huge proponent of informed decision-making and I love helping any way I can by sharing the information I've learned over the years working with babies and toddlers. But that said, you know your baby best. So I want you to implement what you think will work best for you and your baby and your family. And as always, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. I can be reached at Bianca at babytourguide.com. That's my email. So definitely reach out if you have any other you know, specific questions or topic suggestions going forward. And yeah, thanks for tuning in this week and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Hey, it's Bianca, your baby tour guide here, hopping back in to say thank you again for listening to this episode of Montessori Babies. If you'd like to support your baby's earliest and most important years the Montessori way, I have a totally free masterclass that teaches the six essential steps to begin Montessori with your baby that gives you the exact, seldomly spoken about steps that I created after over a decade working with Montessori babies, families, and caregivers. You can register via the link in our show notes or in my bio on Instagram at babytourguide. Also, if you're enjoying my podcast, I would absolutely love if you'd leave a review to help other parents and caregivers find and join our community. Thanks again for listening to Monastery Babies, and I'll catch you in our next episode. Bye!